to a Better World. This is your host, Mitchell J. Rabin, and I'm very glad you're joining us again today. Today we're going to have another very interesting show as we continue this series of looking at the United States of America, its voting practices, its election practices, and what's been up in particular with this November 8th election. To join me here to talk about these matters, called a roundtable called Voting in America, who is counting with Brent Turner and Brian Fox is exactly Brent and Brian. A little bit about our guests today. Brent Turner is a graduate of Lincoln Law School in San Francisco and has a degree granted by University of San Diego in International Legal Studies from Oxford, England. Mr. Turner is a community activist whose efforts have included volunteer work for the homeless, children's health and education, civil rights, and environmental issues. Brent was also instrumental in the creation of the San Francisco County Voting Systems Task Force and has been a director of communications for Open Voting Consortium. Brent has been recognized as a groundbreaking activist for sustainability and dedicates himself to local, state, and federal issues. Our other guest today is Brian J. Fox, who is an American computer programmer, entrepreneur, consultant, author, and free software advocate. He was the original author of the GNU Bash Shell, which he announced as a beta program in June of 1989. He continued as the primary maintainer for Bash until early 1993. We'll be uncovering some of that as well very shortly. In 1985, Brian worked with Richard Stallman at Stallman's newly created Free Software Foundation at the FSF. Fox authored GNU Bash, GNU Make Info, GNU Info, GNU Finger, and the Read Line in History Libraries. He was also the maintainer of Emacs for a time and has made many contributions to the software that was created for the GNU project between 1986 and 1994. It's a real pleasure and honor to have these guests on with me today to talk about these matters which are so central to our daily discussion on the media and among the American people who are deeply concerned about these results of the last election, not because of the candidate that was, I could say, selected, and we'll unpack that in a moment, but while that is alarming in itself in many ways, the matter is really a legal one where we are looking at what are the legalities involved in voting and how have those uh, legal matters been breached, as many believe they have been, by foreign powers as well as domestic. So to talk about this, I'd like to first turn to Brent. Hi, Brent. Welcome to A Better World. A pleasure to have you. Hello, Mitchell. How are you? Fine, thanks. Fine. So in hearing my introduction and the points made, what what do you have to say about this current state of the November 8th election? What do you think about it? What happened? Well, I think the one thing that we do know, and there may only be one thing that we know conclusively, 
and and that's that we don't know what happened. And for that, I think uh, naturally, as many have have um, put forward, that there should be a complete, thorough investigation, and that has not yet occurred. An investigation? Are you saying instead of simply trashing the results because it seems that they have been provably trashed uh, already through fraud, through tampering, meddling, or hacking, uh, which are statements, of course, that the 17 intelligence agencies of the United States government have come, come out publicly to make. That That's right, and, and that um, is very good evidence that they did take that final step toward the election systems themselves. Um, but so far, unfortunately, the uh, what I would call the A team or any team, e- even e- even a B team, has not been able to get their hands on the election systems themselves. So we certainly have the motivation uh, to do the dirty deed, and we have the opportunity to do the dirty deed, but we have yeah. not yet uh, had the opportunity to take a, a forensic analysis of the systems themselves. Okay, so you're saying that the CIA nor the FBI have done that forensic analysis. I thought they not- had. Not not to the best of my knowledge with the election systems themselves. I have not heard a report that they that they have concluded that the election system, in other words, the tabulation systems, have been necessarily hacked. What we do know is that they are prime for hacking, that they are available to hacking and or insider manipulation, and that... Uh, historically, people have manipulated elections when given that opportunity, and certainly in this particular election, it was unusual and unique in that there is a uh, grand amount of evidence showing that foreign entities, namely Russia, focused on this particular election. So all that uh, cumulatively would lead me to uh, state unequivocally that we have to move forward toward a forensic analysis. I see. Okay. Well, that's interestingly very noncommittal, actually, Brent, whereas it was my understanding that you thought that there has been explicit, clear uh, hacking well, into and even manipulation of the votes based on not just the Russians, interestingly, but any number of sources but including the third-party foreign power manipulation. And that, now you're that is, saying that that is no, not No, no, no. So, so just to be clear, that's, that's yeah. what I think. That's what I think personally because of the exit polls and other anomalies. However, in order to really get the final step accomplished, it would be appropriate to do a forensic analysis of the systems and I think yes. that, that that is a, a necessary component which is lacking at this point. Okay, fine. Thank you for that. So what I understand is you're essentially making intelligent and logical inferences based on the data that you have available. And uh, I think, however, there is more evidence about forensics actually having been conducted that you might not be aware of. And uh, maybe our other guest, Brian J. Fox, who is – 
the technician among us all might have more information about this to share with us. And uh, if not, we can uh, all talk about this as a group. Uh, Brian, hi. Welcome to A Better World. A pleasure to have you. Hi. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, now, if you would, you've heard our back and forth about this. How do you weigh in on this? What have you known about? What have you seen? What have you heard? So um, I have to agree with my, uh, with my uh, counterpart there. We, we see that there are motives for hacking. We see that there is opportunity for hacking. And I know that the means are available for this type of hacking. That's been proven time and time again. We see yeah. smoking gun evidence in the, um, in the actual election results vis-a-vis -vis the exit polls. Um, it, it would be extremely odd to the tune of, uh, I think, uh, $750 million to one to have the number of people who said that they voted one way have actually voted a different way. What we haven't done... 750 million to one. That's I, a really interesting that, statistic. Or probability, yeah. I should say. How, how did you arrive at that? The number, the number of uh, votes that appear to be different on a per-state basis, especially in the swing states, uh, than what the stated values of the exit polls were lead me to a scenario where some large number of individuals lied, large being something like, you know, 85% of the people in the exit poll lied. That, that's such a uh, bizarre anomaly that um, I didn't put that number, that 750 million number on there. That was a number that some other people put on there, some statisticians. So. Interesting. I mean, I have some trouble really believing that such a large number of people percentage-wise would have lied coming from the exit polls, of course it's possible. And so what I'm gathering is, you know, it's funny because there was a report, I don't know if either of you heard it, about, curiously, it wasn't about the Russians, but it was actually Homeland Security itself that was found to have hacked into the voting taking place in Georgia, very curious, but in fact there yeah. was an analysis and there was found their fingerprints. Did either of you hear about that? Yeah. No, I didn't hear about that, but I'm not surprised. You're not surprised. Why wouldn't you be surprised? <laughs> the you know our our point our our whole point is that these machines are extremely easy to hack and extremely easy to take over. I see no reason to disbelieve that a well-meaning uh, group of people at the CIA or somewhere in the Department of Homeland Securities wanted to hack into these machines to see if they could catch somebody else hacking into the machines in the app. And it's that oh, easy. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. Almost as a test. Sure. But if you focus in the wrong place, if you're misdirected and you focus in the wrong place, you won't find any evidence of hacking. But you need to know where yes, to I understand. And then you have to be able to friends. Yes, yes. And Mitchell, like, Mitchell, uh, we also we also spoke around in a dark room. Yes, I'm sorry, Brent. What's that? We also uh, spoke with some secretaries of state that were contacted by DHS and others, and uh, for lack of better terminology, were were not interested in DHS participation in their particular jurisdictions. 
because they felt like they had the situation under control. So there is a bit of a push and pull going on between the federal government and the states on this issue. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So I was wondering if you know about the writ of mandamus that a group of us were involved in filing with the Supreme Court as recently, actually, as very early this morning at 1223, I think was the stamp of approval of it, of receipt. Uh, and in it, it cites uh, Article 4, Section 4 of the U.S. Constitution, which is known as the Guarantee Clause, which has inside it the protection offered by the United States government, the federal government, of all states' voting procedures, that they remain intact and in integrity, not at all invaded by any other uh, third party. And that is the basis of the writ stating that, well, clearly, the CIA and the FBI and 15 other intelligence agencies have come out publicly to state that we've been hacked. Are you suggesting that they have not done sufficient due diligence to make a public statement of that sort? That is now leading, by the way, to a series of different political consequences. The, the, the expulsion of 35 quote-unquote diplomats from the United States back to Russia, etc., Brent, you want to weigh in on that first? Well, I think we, we just need to be uh, uh, careful with our conversation to differentiate between the study subject matter of the election systems themselves and the surrounding systems, because there are ways to meddle with an election that don't necessarily conclude uh, that the hack, per se, was upon the the election system itself, and that harkens back to my previous comment where we're, we're um, hoping to get in the same room with those actual systems. Um, but yes. in totality, yes, I'm, I, it, it's, it's uh, a good writ. Um, certainly, we're, we're hopeful that uh, the Supreme Court pays attention, and, and that's what I know, I noted that uh, Mr. Fox's information was uh, noted within the writ, and of course that's that's the science on point. Yes, I understand. Brian, your your response. So uh, I once again I agree with Brent that there's a, a substantial difference uh, in quality between hacking the. Um, for example, the voter rolls for an election and hacking the machines that calculate the votes cast for an election. Mm -hmm. And sure. in, in this writ, in this writ I, I think I was asked to provide a couple of scenarios for hacking. Um, and, and one of the things I pointed out was that in, in both of these types of scenarios, the best way to steal an election because of the way our electoral college works in the U.S., best way to steal an election is find a state where the vote might come out to be close to 50-50, take a precinct or a county that leans heavily in one direction, and steal yeah. some percentage of their votes. This causes the entire state 
to vote the other way without really raising a lot of flags for people. They're like, for example, Philadelphia is a Democrat, always votes Democratic, and they continue to vote Democratic. But what if 10% of their votes were turned to Republican? That could have swung the entire state. Yes, yes, exactly, because most states are winner-take-all instead of somehow proportionately broken down and, uh, you know, electoral votes allocated, you know, proportionately. So, yes, I, I, I hear what you're saying. It's curious, and it's very true. There are many ways to hack an election. One is the voting rules themselves. Another is suppression of of uh, certain voters. Sometimes it's a question of voter ID. Sometimes it's distance to the to the voting booth. You know, sometimes in a state like Texas, for instance, you know, many disenfranchised or economically um, challenged people may not have the means, the transportation or what have you, to get to a polling place. But what it sounds like from, in my ears, which are not technically trained in this domain, what the CIA is stating is that there has been an uh, an influence by a third party in our election and voting system. And that may be showing up on these several different levels, all the way from different levels of voter suppression or simply uh, absenting a series of votes, which has happened. Uh, Greg Palace did an extraordinary study in Detroit. I think it was a minimum of 75,000, and I think the numbers go much higher than that in other precincts that were simply just essentially dropped in the trash. They were just removed. And like Philadelphia, Brian, as you were saying, Detroit is another heavily Democratic uh, town. And so for that to swing as it did, you know, Right, raises the eyebrows of anyone who's looking. Your comment? Yes, Detroit is a special case, and it's uh, very disturbing to me in a, on a very personal level. M- Michigan, you know, Michigan had a partial recount, and everybody said, "See, the votes didn't change." Except none of the votes in Detroit got hand counted because they all essentially got thrown out for uh, one glitch or another. Oh, we we counted up all the ballots, and we got a difference of one count in the number of ballots between these two things, we're not going to count those ballots at all. And that happened throughout basically all of greater Detroit. So we didn't really recount in Michigan at all. We didn't do any counting at all in Detroit. And I find that to be um, odd. I I wish I could say surprising, but I don't find it to be surprising. Yes, right. But wasn't Jill Stein, former presidential candidate of the Green Party, um, actively engaged in uh, commanding, compelling a revote and raise the funding in order to bring that about? Yes, that's exactly what Jill Stein did, and, and we were very happy that she uh, did that. And you could tell that large numbers of Americans were excited about that by the amount of money yes. she raised in two days, much more than she raised for her own campaign, surprisingly. Yes, um, right. Yeah, but... She pushed as hard as she could, but she was uh, blocked at every turn. Um, there, there were often many people who, who simply said, 
we're not going to do this. And I, I still don't really understand why anybody who's interested in making sure that your vote is counted as cast would not be interested if the finances were taken care of and the time is available. Why wouldn't you simply count the votes by hand and make sure they were counted as cast? Exactly, exactly. Brent, your thoughts about this? Well, uh, you know, I have a, um inclination that there is more than meets the eye here regarding uh, those particular recounts. Um, unfortunately, uh, in taking a look at, at the um, uh, people that were pushing in the final moments, I think there may have been a bit of a splinter within the Jill Stein camp regarding uh, best uh, uh, process and and how mm-hmm. to push back against the powers that be uh, on the political side, uh, the on the official side. So uh, whether their strategy uh, t- turned up empty uh, due to those splinters, I don't know. Um, certainly, um, I think appeals were made from the information that we saw on the ground. One interesting uh, factoid that uh, people may not know is that the reports that I was getting from eyewitnesses in the counting rooms in specific jurisdictions, namely uh, uh, Wisconsin and Michigan, were that uh, Hillary was running uh, outperforming Trump in red jurisdictions. So when they did manage to get an overview of particular batches, um, people that were there in the count rooms were surprised when making their own personal tallies to see Hillary outperforming Trump in those spot circumstances. Now, that can't be carried forward completely, but just to note, um, when we did get a chance to witness uh, and do a veritable hand count in those spot moments, um, the the results were counter to the announced results. So that that's just something uh, to add to the soup. Um, as as far as the uh, recounts go in total, that's the danger under the current systems with the intellectually uh, protected uh, software that you're basically pushing a button that just regurgitates the same count that you had before and then it looks as though uh, you have a reconciliation which may in fact be false mm-hmm. interesting so I mean the idea of voter suppression of discounting ballots of not allowing in some states like Florida, I believe it is, uh, that uh, felons, even after they have been released and are back in civil society, are not allowed to vote again. Uh, All there are so many different ways that so many largely black voters in the year 2000 were disenfranchised or simply eliminated, and it wasn't only by color. It was sometimes by party, i.e., 
Democrats were simply eliminated. And then we had, of course, the Chad question and many others back then. What this, of course, signals to us is that there have been troubles in River City in regard to fair, free and fair voting, which is supposed to be our constitutional right or certainly legal right. Uh, And it has been a mess for a long time. I remember back in the year, was it 2000 or again in um, 2004 when John Kerry ran for president against G.W. Bush. The president of Diebold came out and made a public declaration that he would do anything he could in his power to swing the vote to G.W. Bush. Now, Diebold was a very popular voting machine across the country. So how can you begin to uh, even approximate a fair and just vote under these circumstances? Brian, your thoughts? Um, I guess so. I Once again, I find myself agreeing that this is a serious problem. I'm still personally kind of stuck in Detroit where we're – 392 precincts, 60% of Detroit was unable to be recounted, and two-thirds of those precincts had too many votes. So this is, a, this is the kind of anomaly that makes you realize something's happening. You know, I, I talk about this a little bit when I, when I give a talk. I talk about how if you were um, a checkout person at the supermarket, at the end of the night, your your check, your uh, cash drawer is supposed to have uh, the amount of money that matches the the tape. If it doesn't match the tape, you get in trouble. And it doesn't matter if it's yes. over or under. It matters that it doesn't match because that shows something strange has happened. Either the customer got cheated by accident or on purpose, or the company is being cheated on purpose. And I think people kind of forget that you can't pee in one corner of a bathtub and have it stay there. So if we can see clearly that the number of votes doesn't match the number of, uh, of registered, the number of people that were counted to vote, that there's a serious problem. Um, and as far as I know, uh, there are people in Wayne County who are trying to figure out what exactly happened. Um, for example, there's yes. one precinct with a ballot box that contained only 50 of the 306 ballots listed in the poll book. Well, what happened to the other 250 ballots? Absolutely. I, no, it's a very, very important, critical point that you're making. And Detroit may be um, a, a glaring example, but it's not alone at all regarding what happened with the November 8th vote. Absentee ballots present their own issue, do they not? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. The 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 problem is is that there is a thousand holes in in the ship, and and yeah. so um, one might think that there's so many problems that it's almost intentional. Uh, one thing that we haven't really addressed, and that is that the government studies of this particular. Uh, technology of these systems is is um, all already concluded. 
and uh, at uh, no small expense. For instance, in California, there was a top-to-bottom review in 2007, which was scathing and said, don't use these election systems. Um, They don't have proper security. And the reason highlighted by the government study is that the software is corporate-owned and uh, has a protection around it that defies proper inspection. So for that, um, these systems are ill-conceived, and the government is aware of this particular issue. Um, So this is not breaking news. It is um, well-known within the government that the systems are not appropriate for use and, and should be replaced. So uh, that's with a, a hat tip to uh, Brian Fox's work with the open source community to try to bring in uh, publicly owned systems so that we're not just repeating this crisis every two to four years. Uh, we, we have to have a better system that embraces paper ballots and that are manicured properly and also uh, that that don't have corporate controlled software systems. So this is yeah. no secret. Um, the the real uh, dirty secret is is that this has been brought to the attention of the entirety of the government, from the White House to the county level, and um, uh, there are blocks in place due to. Microsoft and intellectual property corporate interests that are very heavy-handed with their lobbyist efforts. So that is yeah. something that we have to cure moving forward. Actually, I'm very glad you brought this up uh, here, Brent, uh, because um, it's my understanding, and please, if you would elaborate on this, that you have had the opportunity to meet with President Obama and to discuss some of these matters. What was discussed? When did it happen? What was discussed? What was his reaction? Well, I briefed uh, President Obama three times on this particular issue, and the first two times were informational. The third time, uh, as I uh, began to launch into my, my spiel, um, he put his, the palms of his hands upward uh, and said, I know, I know, open source election systems. We have to have open source. So I didn't bother to go into my song and dance on round three because I assumed my, my work was done and that I had made my point. And, uh, you know, I would have said it a third time because I know – Uh, you know, he has a lot on his mind, and I'm not always sure what they're receiving, even though they're nodding. Uh, So uh, that that was my interaction with with him. Um, On other levels, we've been in in, uh, close relationship and conversation with the White House Office of Science and Technology Policy under Dr. John Holdren, with uh, many members of the intelligence community, uh, the DHS, DOD, DNI, uh, so on and so forth. So, uh, and, and then right down to the county levels of reaching out to the 
clerks themselves, uh, the county election officials, and letting them know that, uh, you know, there will be relief and an option for them at some point. But uh, currently, uh, again, we're, we go head-to-head with Goliath, which is uh, Microsoft and their uh, vendor allies, and uh, they have good controls in place with um, the clerks' associations that are at the state level, um, and uh, you know those those affectations run right through the secretaries of state and everybody else. So it's it's a battle that continues, and uh, this is the politics at hand. Are you saying that they are? Microsoft is the largest purveyor of voting software programs. Uh, Microsoft protects the the intellectual property community through their lobbyist efforts. So uh, the the vendors, your ESNS, um, Dominion, and such, they have their own lobbyists as well. But the real uh, uh, the real power. Uh, power comes from Microsoft, and you know then that seeps into seeps everywhere. I mean, from from the county to the state to the federal, and and also into academia which is uh, really frightful. Yes, exactly. I'll get back to the open source solution, which I think is such a good one, and I'm very glad that the two of you are are educating the masses, as more important actually, even uh, the people in different governmental positions who can do something about this, because it's just frightful. As you were suggesting before, Brian, it's almost as though there are uh, mixed intentions about whether uh, voting should be free and fair or not. And there are many conflicts going on. And actually, these are age-old as well. The Republicans overall have been interested in voter suppression, and uh, especially in inner cities that tend to be uh, black and minority uh, heavy and the, who also tend to be democratic. So the Democrats, on the other hand, by and large, and these are generalizations with exceptions, are the ones who are seeking to promote easier methods of voting. It's just awfully funny that you know voting as one of the very pillars of a democratic society as a republic with democratic processes uh, is truly uh, foundational. It's just foundational. Yet, within our own government, from the federal all the way to the local levels, there is such conflict about who gets to vote, who gets counted. And it's just sad. So I think that there's an overall, you know, honestly, moral education and civics education that needs to really take place place for us to enjoy the benefits that our Constitution has given to us, the protections that our uh, nation has offered us, but are, are quelled and stifled at every inch of the way. It's it's enough to make you actually cry. Before we go into the solutions, though, I do want to just drill down another step here. 
because uh, it's very interesting, Brent, that you've had uh, the opportunity to present your perspective to the White House, and I think that's just fantastic. And I think also to leading members of Congress as well. But I just want to revert back to something we were discussing earlier. Do either of you have any concrete evidence or information yourselves or from your sources that indicates clearly the Russian or any other third party external to the United States source of hacking on any level into our last election? Mitchell, I don't personally have uh, direct information because I'm not allowed yet, and I hope this will change, to examine uh, and do forensics on any of the voting machines, especially the tally machines that were used in this uh, recent election. Um, it's, and why it, have it's you not, not been allowed, Brian? There, no one is releasing machines to be looked at uh, by <laughs> by anybody. So. Uh, uh-huh. my, neither my nor yes, Jill Stein begged to look at a machine and, and you know, uh, asked the court, and the court said, no, you can't look at the machines, which I just find <laughs> bizarre. I mean, like, literally it's bizarre. Like, look at a machine. Um, yes. But, but that's been a difficulty. So without, uh, you know, we're, we're in a situation where, where a murder has been committed and uh, th- there was a person who was there, and, you know, they hated the other person, and all this evidence points to that person, but we can't find the weapon. And the reason we can't find the weapon mm. is because it's locked up in a box, and the person who has the key isn't going to unlock the box. <laughs> and we're, we're very disturbed by this. We'd like, we would like to look inside the box. I, I would love to find out um, that, that our election systems were not hacked. That would be a wonderful thing for me. I mean, there are many yeah. problems in our election system, but I don't want the actual computers to be the problem. Um, but unfortunately, I don't believe that's the case, and, I, and there's just way too much, uh, quote-unquote, circumstantial evidence pointing to the fact that um, we have had our vote counts tampered with, and that's a big deal. Not just exactly. in Exactly. That's right. Very well put. I very much appreciate your your imagery here. Not that I like the imagery of a murderer. God knows I do not. But it is actually very apropos to the issues that we're dealing with here. And you have to ask your question, the question, why are the voting machines not being allowed to be examined? It's like, you know, to continue the analogy, you know, you bring the body to the morgue, and they're not allowed to, you know, the forensics are not allowed to take place to see what the cause of death really was. And when you add the whole picture of the unusual coziness with uh, the president of Russia um, by one of our candidates, by one of the candidates, Mr. Trump, saying that he thinks the Russians should um, hack into the emails of his opponent, Hillary Clinton. I mean, it just makes you wonder what in the world is going on. He refuses to uh, show his taxes, so we have no idea what his uh, actual business 
relationships and interests are in Russia or anywhere else for that matter, Turkey and on, it's, it's, it's so suspicious. It's as you were saying before, both of you in a sense, there's a smoking gun. We can even smell the smoke, but we're not given access, which is normally available in some of these cases, especially, you know, the tax filings, uh, to right. come to sensible, rational adults' conclusions as to what it is we're dealing with. So it's, right. a, it's a serious problem. Yeah, please. For your, for your listeners who are interested in learning a little bit more about what we've been talking about here, um, we have a website called myvoteisnotmine.org. Myvoteisnotmine.org. There's a, there's a short film there that, that explains many of the things we've been talking about and plenty of information. Very helpful, very helpful. Before I let you both go, however, I really do want you to take a few moments and share with our audience what you both have come up with, and many others. I know your colleagues have been pushing this for a long time, and it's so sensible, uh, which is an open-source system. And I'm very glad that President Obama knew about it from whatever source, but this has been a conversation about open-source software for a long time, not just in voting, but in simple computer use. Uh, you know, Linux as one system, and there are others that have been very popular. I, I remember I went to meetings at a New York public library in New York City about open source back back in the 80s, actually. So it's not new, but it sounds like it's close to anti-hackable, close to hack, you know, being anti-hackable. Uh, Brian, as the technician, would you start this conversation? Certainly. Um, I wouldn't say open source is 100% unhackable. What I would say is it's completely transparent so that if hacking begins to take place or you see hacking taking place, everyone can see it simultaneously at the same time. Oh, no surprises. And, and that is extremely important. There's, there's, not, there's not an argument to say that open source programmers are better programmers than proprietary programmers. It's just that there's so much more eyeballs on the source code that yeah, many potential more. flaws can be seen and um, eradicated before the source code is actually used. And you can validate independently that the um, application works as you in intended to. And so that's a big deal for open source in election systems. And um, Brent and I put on an election at Linux Expo in uh, 2008, I believe, where, where uh, my crew and I had built a 100% open source um, voting system from uh, allowing people to, to put in the ballots, to create ballots, to put in the ballots, and then to tally the ballots, um, which we demonstrated with, with much success. So it's not as if the technology is, is unavailable um, or hard to, to create or even to use. We have one last thing. We, we are working with um, Dr. Juan Gilbert, who has created um, an election system called Prime 3, which is currently in use in New Hampshire. It is, a, once again, a completely open source election system. And so um, there may be more information uh, forthcoming about that. Excellent. That's so good to hear. Are there other countries that either of you know about who are using a Linux-based or open source 
uh, voting system? Well, sorry, Brent? Uh, you know, I, I don't believe Russia, that. Right. Yeah. Nah, <laughs> I, me, I don't believe that, that they they've been deployed. Uh, the uh, Lennox event that uh, Brian mentioned uh, with Open Voting Consortium that uh, was 2008, and even before that, in 2004, at initial demonstrations, it did garner worldwide attention and inquiry. Uh, so the the uh, message there is that uh currently uh with brexit and with all these different events worldwide there there are no secure election systems currently uh appropriately secure nothing being 100% but there are not even appropriately secure election systems being used internationally uh regardless of the United States. So um, we're getting uh, results that are uh, shaking the world, and we're still not sure if these are accurate uh, vote counting results. So um, the hope is, is that California, with Secretary of State Padilla, will follow New Hampshire's lead and uh, – certify and deploy an appropriately secure open source paper ballot system. At that point, we believe that the rest of the country by 2018 or 2020 at the latest, if, if we do an all hands on deck, we could actually accomplish this mission and replace the corporate owned secret software systems with publicly owned general public license open source paper ballot systems. At that point, we believe a, uh, the rest of the world will uh, note the progress and move toward better systems as well. And, uh, you know, time is of the essence. So, uh, obviously, this, this election we just had uh, was, was horrifying. But on the plus side, I think it opened a lot of people's eyes and ears and minds regarding the necessity uh, to protect our democracy with appropriately secure systems. Absolutely. Very well put, Brent. I really appreciate this. These points are really in the direction of building uh, a democracy with integrity through a voting system with all eyes on. It's really the way to go. I'm, I'm so behind your efforts. And if people want to help support what you're doing, I, you're both involved in this process in California. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Is there a website they can go to for uh, weighing in, I should say, yes. voting on your behalf? Yes, that is C-A-V-O, which stands for California Association of Voting Officials, C-A-V-O-U-S.org. That's excellent. That's excellent. Just actually say it one more time so people that is get C, their pens out. Yeah, C C A V O Charlie Apple Victor Officer C A V O dash US dot org. That's fantastic. Well, I, I just want to thank both of you, Brent Turner and Brian J. Fox, for weighing in today on a better world. Your work is 
so important for clarifying this field. And uh, I just want to wish you tremendous luck as you continue on. And thank you for your fortitude in the face of uh, so many odds. It's really, really heartening that there are people courageous on the front lines like both of you doing what it is you're doing. So thanks again for being on with me today. Thank you, Mitchell. Thank you. Absolutely. So that was uh, felt a very educational conversation with these two gentlemen who are very dedicated, taking a tremendous amount of time and energy of their own lives on a daily and weekly basis and have been doing so for years. And they have clearly penetrated, if you will, some very high levels of office, including the Oval Office. And they have the ears of many in Congress and on the level of states. And I just wish them Godspeed in the work that they are doing to accomplish their goals of creating open source. Also, just to momentarily review our conversation, it seems clear from their understanding, recognizing that uh, a good amount is um, been circumstantial based on where they are and what they have access to, not forensic, meaning we can only add it all up and when you add it all up from what happens happened concretely in Detroit, what most likely happened also in Philadelphia. And I'd refer everyone to Greg Palast, that's G-R-E-G-P-A-L-A-S-T dot com for more information. And it's probably on the Green Party website as well, um, some analysis of what has been happening over the last uh, six or eight weeks or so. It's really important for us all as Americans to take a look at that and to remember that as of just this very early morning, there has been a filing of a writ that is contesting this election process uh, results, and it is soundly based in constitutional law, and it is based on what the federal government's highest level intelligent agencies have pronounced publicly and on the media and oh it's not that I believe everything that comes from the media certainly which is why I'm involved in alternative media and it's not that I believe everything that comes from our intelligence agencies either that's not the point but when you add it all up and you recognize that there are major questions of reputation of the CIA and FBI and 15 other intelligence agencies were to come out publicly without verifiable basis to their claims, it's just not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. Not in this day and age. Not after what happened uh, in Iraq with the Bush-Cheney-Tenet team back then. It's a reasonable comment when you have all of the pollsters who have said what they did, 65, 75, 85% in the direction of Hillary Clinton. And this is not being said because I am a fan of Hillary Clinton at all. This is a matter of law. I myself and all of you who have listened over time know that I have been voting for the Green Party and for 
third-party candidates for decades. So it's got nothing to do with upholding any one candidate over another. And if we were to hold a new election and the winner would have been Donald Trump, so be it. So please understand, this is not a political matter, but a legal matter, a judicial matter, and it needs to be understood appropriately in that light. So I would suggest that you get in touch with me at mjr at abetterworld.net and through our website at www.abetterworld.tv or net. You can learn more about what you can do or check us out on Twitter or on Facebook to learn more about your participation pressing forward in our suit asking for an emergency Supreme Court ruling to nullify these election results. They have been tampered with and they need to be thrown out and a new election held immediately. Don't worry, not the campaigning folks. Thank God we're exhausted. But post-primary, the election itself. So along that line, today, Vice President Biden, to have ratified those members who won seats in Congress, we're claiming that they were not elected, but they were selected by the highest levels of the Russian government. And if you don't want that, and you want to actually preserve our democracy and the integrity of it and the integrity of our voting, not invaded by a foreign power, you'll demand by calling the vice president's office, the president's office, your representative's offices, Senate offices, and demand that they not ratify that vote and that they get behind this movement of voices of millions across the country and take action to have this last election results nullified. Thanks so much for joining me today in listening here at A Better World. This is your host, Mitchell J. Rabin. And please remember, we ourselves are 501c3, a nonprofit organization, and we are sustained by your contributions and your investment, if you will, in creating a better world. So please know you are part of the solution. You can go to make those donations, contributions, investments at our website, betterworld.tv. And if you're going to use that PayPal button, please send as friends and family. So because we are a nonprofit, that is a, a legitimate way to, uh, to do so. Or if the amounts you want are in excess of $500, please write to me and we can arrange another means of transaction. Thanks so much. And please sign up for our newsletter, our free newsletter that goes out every week announcing our weekly TV program on Mondays at 7 p.m. out of New York City, but it's also webcast, so you can be anywhere. 
Australia, New Zealand, where I know we have a number of listeners, as well as the UK, other parts of Europe, and the world. It's so pleasurable to know that you are all part of a better world through your listening and you're getting on to our newsletter and spreading the word, taking these links and sending them off to distant lands so everyone can be part of this A Better World community. Thanks again, and I look forward to seeing you all next week.